we come to the topic of human sexuality. That phrase is loaded. This topic is loaded. There is so much going on here. And I think it would be helpful for us to remember to come about this prayerfully, to approach this with humility, and to come with a discerning mind to uh, parse out the difference between what the world says, what Scripture says, what our hearts say, what our feelings say. Uh, we have to make sure that we are willing to come at this with a, a willingness to let go of some of our own assumptions, uh, let go of especially things that we know are culturally acceptable but biblically unacceptable, and figure out how in the world do we walk that, those two things, the tension there between biblical truth and uh, the cultural lies. How do we walk then graciously uh, and, and as kind uh, shepherds of a kind to, to those who are lost in the world? How do we do this um, in a godly way? And I think for those ends, we have a good document to guide us. And this sexuality report is trying to approach this with that grace. And you will notice, not necessarily on this handout, this, um, this report has so many scriptures interwoven in it because ultimately the Bible is our document that helps us do this well. The Bible is our foundation. But still, we have to ask the question, why, why human sexuality? Why not just keep going through our Old Testament books? Why not just do something that's less controversial? Well, maybe I'll uh, open it up to you. You see some answers there, but um, you tell me. Do you think this is relevant? And if so, how are some ways that you know? It's incredibly relevant. It's, it's incredibly relevant. <laughs> into our how, how so? Where do you see it? to our beliefs, to mm -hmm. the foundation of general revelation and special revelation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like an additional question is where are we not seeing it? Yeah. Where it's being presented at every level, of, at least in media, whether it's in movies or TV shows, it's presented and presented as supposed to be, as supposedly supposed to be like acceptable, uh, whether it's for, you know, Films for you know adults or for kids, it's presented as what should be acceptable. What in particular is presented? Uh, I feel that either your sexuality or your gender is very fluid. Mm, it can be okay. whatever, as long as you're happy, then everything's okay. Okay, good, yeah. good, good. So tying this this happiness to kind of your your own truth. yeah your own truth yeah yeah. Other ways that you see this as very relevant? What are some of those things? I think it's super relevant. I've heard, I think you've said it. My uncle certainly has said it. And uh, my friend Jamie has that if you're not teaching your kids, are, if you're not teaching your kids, the world is. Mm -hmm. So yep. make sure we're doctrinating that first. Yeah, for sure. How many of you feel like when you're growing up through Sunday school, high school, um, your church did a good job of explaining biblical sexuality. <laughs> What's the 
opposite of putting hands up. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the, at least when it came to uh, husband and wife, they certainly did. Uh, I think that um, I think things have changed very quickly, mm. like in the last five to ten years, mm -hmm. where there has been not only just a it's been a, um, it's like the opposite of free thought and free, like if you don't mm -hmm. agree with me, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then we're going to get you fired from your job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're going to ruin your business. Um, we're going to put you through um, counseling so that you come to see our way of thinking. Mm -hmm. It's, mm -hmm. it, it, this is, like history repeats itself. This is this is like Mao's great leap forward. It mm -hmm. is where uh, you know he was going to take uh, China and move it forward by educating everybody in a certain way. And if you didn't agree, then you were going to be sent off to camps or worse. Mm -hmm. And it's it's got a lot of similarities to that mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The whole LGBTQ, I don't even know how many letters there are now. It went from something that was not talked about to something that was tolerated to something that's enforced in a very short amount of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A very yeah. short amount of time. Yeah. Feels like we really, at least from my perspective, everything started to hit us really uh, within the church after the whole cake ordeal. Seems mm -hmm. like stuff really started to get big then, and like we were pretty surprised how much power these people. Okay. What I'm hearing is this is touching on all kinds of different realms of the lives that we live, from, from business to education to um, the way that we interact in the world. You'll see that here. That is the first point here, the cultural need. Sexuality has been elevated to perhaps the main identifying factor in a person's, uh, excuse me, the main defining factor in a person's identity. Um, that is typically... If somebody says, well, who are you? Typically, the first thing they're going to think about in the world is their gender or sexual orientation. Uh, so so this, this, these issues of sexuality become the main thing that define people. Um, you can consider how things have been. Um, sexuality has been an increasing topic of discussion since the sexual revolution of the 60s. Um, Kevin hinted at this. The LGBT acronym has grown to LGBTQIA+. And what that shows to us is that there are lots of people exploring who they are and defining themselves in terms of sexuality, which is why the acronym grows and grows, because they want to be identified as a certain um, word that be ends up in the acronym. Uh, and we also see constantly legislative battles right now over trans rights, over parents' rights, over protect the children, over whatever the, the catchphrase is for the political movement. This, there is a need, um, and really, the church, I think, um, I don't think the church has failed as miserably as some of us want to accuse it of failing. But I also think that the church, um, it's time for the church to address this head on. Uh, maybe 10 years ago was the time to do that. Maybe 30 years ago was the time to do that. 
Uh, it doesn't matter. We're going to try to do that now. And I am not at all trying to say our Sunday evening study is all we ever have to do as a church to address sexuality. That's not the point. But I think this is a helpful place to start to make sure that as we're interacting in a world where the standards are so different from ours, we need to know where we stand. And so in some ways, this is an apologetic for us to help us know what does the Bible say and to help us know how to um, stand on that. But there's also a second element to it, and it's the pastoral task. And we'll get to that here um, in just a minute under the goals section. So uh, first of all, the Bible tells us to defend the truth, and there are indeed untruths. I'll go ahead and use, I hate that word. There are lies um, being taught in our world. And we need to learn to stand for biblical truth against the lies. Titus 1.9, this is a, a quote that my, my brother talked about when he was, um, I think I told you Redeemer is starting in on this study. This was a verse that he used to discuss this. He says, he, he realized this verse drove him to say, we really need to talk about this. And the verse says, uh, he, speaking of the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So my goal is to help um, not to rebuke you, but to give instruction and sound doctrine so that those who do contradict biblical truth are not a threat to your standing in scriptural truth. The Bible also commands sexual purity. This does matter to God. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And that's not just cheating on your spouse. This is all kinds of sexual sin wrapped up in it, uh, as is that charge against, constantly in the New Testament, sexual immorality. That, that term is a wide, it's an umbrella of all kinds of sexual sins. And then uh, lastly, what we're trying to do is make sure we root our conclusions on God's design for sexuality. There's hardly design for sexuality in the world's understanding of sexuality. There's not a driving um, motive or force behind why sexuality is the way it is. It's, it's simply something that can be changed based on my inclinations, based on my feelings. And, and so our goal now is to make sure that our purposes and our designs are not the driving force behind how we talk about sexuality. Human Intention does not make or break true sexuality. God's purposes do. God's design does. And so that needs to be foundational for us. Uh, Jackie Hill Perry says that the discussion of gender identity is ultimately a discussion of authority and worship. Are you worshiping an idea, a concept of gender a concept of your sexuality, a concept of yourself, a concept of a relationship? Or is this a worship of God? And so this is an issue of who's your authority and who is the one that you give praise to. And this is going to touch on a variety of uh, sexual issues. I'm going to go ahead and read you. These, this is not exhaustive, but this is where we're going to start as we go through this report. There are 12 statements in this, uh, this report. And these are the 12 topics. First of all, marriage, which we may get to today. Uh, second of all, the image of God. I, I love how you start off with these 
Genesis concepts. You have to start with creation to understand who we are. Marriage in Genesis 2. Image of God in Genesis 1. We've got to start here. Original sin is statement 3, topic 3. You've got to understand original sin and how it affects the way that we think about our personhood. Statement 4, our desires. Statement 5, concupiscence. Am I saying that right? Concupiscence. Catholic Catholic friends? Okay. Um, I expect that we have some Roman Catholic um, understanding that infiltrates the way that some of us think about sin and temptation. And so when we get to this topic, it might be a little bit more controversial. Um, that is a, a Catholic word, and also some of the concepts that we get into the, when we get there uh, may be um, a little bit more controversial. Uh, statement number six, temptation. Statement seven, sanctification. Again, I appreciate the holistic approach here. This is not focusing in on specific um, sexual acts or sins uh, to begin. Um, statement eight, impeccability. Statement nine, identity. Ten, language. How we talk about this is important. Uh, statement 11, friendship. And statement 12, repentance and hope. Those are the 12 statements, and we're going to take those systematically. There, That's only about six pages of a 62-page document. And my hope is not to cover it exhaustively, but to then hit some of the main points. Perhaps I will interweave them into these 12 statements as we go through them. I may do a couple add-on um, lessons at the end after we go through the 12 statements. Not decided yet. But that should give you a little bit of a glimpse of how all these things, from even temptation and identity and friendship, all this has to do with our sexuality. Now, this committee was commissioned, I believe in 2017, to, to be formed and with very specific goals. And you'll see those written here on the bottom half of that front page. The goals of the AIC Ad Interim Committee, uh, the goals of that committee and the report are given here. Therefore, be it resolved that the 47th General Assembly create an Ad Interim Committee to study the topic of human sexuality with particular attention to the issues of homosexuality, same-sex attraction, and transgenderism, and prepare a report. Looking at the numbers here, this was actually 2019. Um, that report, and you see the, the ellipsis there, the dot, 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 and the brackets, that goes on for a long time, telling this committee what needs to be in this report. You can find this online. It's actually linked if you go to ChristPresKent.com. If you go to our Sunday evening section, I have linked the document right there. So you can pull it up. You can have it. Uh, again, being 62 pages, I'm not going to print that for you. I haven't even printed it for myself. As we go through this, I will be reading it online. Um, and in their preface, here's what the committee said. The two tasks could be called the pastoral task and the apologetic task. On the one hand, Overture 42 Overture 42 is what you read just above it in the purpose given. Overture 42 asks that the report help pastors and sessions shepherd congregants who are dealing with same-sex attraction. On the other hand, it asks for suggested ways to articulate and defend a biblical understanding of homosexuality, 
same-sex attraction, and transgenderism in the context of a culture that denies that understanding. So you see there, pastoral and apologetic. And I would like for us to try to capture those as well as we go through this. Question so far about this committee, about this report, about where we're headed. Okay. This uh, was commissioned, um, charged to this committee at an important time in the PCA. You probably remember uh, mentioning... Uh, Last, earlier this year, I had mentioned the Revoice Conference in 2018. I believe that was a catalyst, if not the catalyst, to get this document uh, written. This document was received with great praise and acceptance by the PCA just a couple years ago. The PCA said, yes, we agree. This, what is in here is good. Um, it is not part of our Constitution but it is the consensus view of the PCA and has been accepted with great excitement by people from all ends of uh, the PCA. Yes? Is this a part of what's wanting to get voted into the PCO? No. This, this is just going to be a standalone report? Correct. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, this will not be incorporated into the BCO. But sometimes, um, recently, there have been arguments to bring in new BCO amendments because of, and they used this report as a foundation saying, see, but our report says this, therefore it would be right for us to incorporate this into the BCO. Yeah, so it is, it is shaping things. Book of church order. Yeah. Thank you. So here are some people who are on the committee. You may uh, know some of these names, Brian Chapel. He is the former president of Covenant Theological Seminary, that is the denominational seminary. He is also now the PCA stated clerk. So he is um, down in Atlanta these days as the stated clerk of the denomination. Kevin DeYoung, pastor of Christ Covenant Church in Charlotte. He's a professor at RTS Charlotte. Uh, he is also on this. He has written books on um, homosexuality at the academic and popular level. Uh, Tim Keller needs no introduction. Uh, Jim Widenar out of Pittsburgh. He came and spoke at uh, Redeemer's Men's Retreat back in 2019. Uh, he is a part. He's a regional director for Harvest USA. Harvest USA out in that part of Pennsylvania. <coughs> Derek, Derek Halverson, um, who is the former president of Covenant College. I actually have gotten to know him pretty well. Uh, because of my time at Covenant College, but also my time at Covenant College events through General Assembly since then uh, and other gatherings of the PCA. Uh, he is no longer president at Covenant. He's uh, working with another, um, I don't know if department's the right word, ministry's not the right word, something like that, out of Covenant College. Uh, Mr. Kyle Keating, who is, uh, sorry, uh, Derek Halverson and Kyle Keating and Jim Pachta are ruling elders. Uh, Kyle Keating is an educator and Jim Pachta is a counselor, both very um, helpful in, in being contributors to this. So just so you, you know some names here, there are seven men here on the committee who were a part of this. They're not the only ones who contributed to this. They sent out many um, ideas and thoughts and received hundreds of suggestions from other PCA pastors that were considered in the creation of this document. 
Uh, I think this, this is uh, extensive here on uh, the back of that page, but I think it's worth looking at. Um, that's, I went ahead and copied and pasted it because I, I wanted us to, to look at the intent here on the part of the committee. First of all, they're saying, all right, we wrote these 12 statements, and here's why. Sinclair Ferguson in his book, The Whole Christ, reminds us that the two main ways that the gospel is compromised are through legalism on the one hand and antinomianism on the other. He then says that it is common to fall into the mistake of prescribing a dose of antinomianism to heal legalism and vice versa, rather than the gospel antidote of our grace union with Christ. I'm going to pause there for a minute and go ahead and reiterate how important this is. When you have one error of legalism and one error of antinomianism, the correct answer is not between two errors. The correct answer is elsewhere in the gospel. And that's what he's saying here. You can't just have a dose of legalism to fix antinomianism. You can't just have a dose of antinomianism to fix legalism. They're both errors. They both misunderstand the core of the gospel. And so uh, we continue. He goes on to argue that the church must present to the world the whole Christ clothed in his gospel. Jesus is both the holy one and the merciful one. He cleanses the temple yet eats with sinners. He gives Martha teaching on truth, yet he gives Mary only tears, even though they had both said the same thing to him about their grief. He gives each of them what they most need at the moment. On the cross, Jesus fulfills both the unyielding demands of the law, yet also the most wonderful purposes of God's love. And so we must present the whole Christ when we both pastor individuals and speak to the world about sexuality and gender today. Jesus is full of grace and truth. In pastoral care, we must not apply the truth so harshly as to be callously alienating or so indirectly that the truth is never clearly grasped. The very form of the following 12 statements seeks to capture this grace and truth, wholeness, as we address the issues. Each statement is dual, an associating of one truth with a concomitant truth or teaching. The aim is not to achieve some kind of abstract intellectual balance or third way, but rather to show the path of theologically rich pastoring. The paired truths help the pastor avoid the opposite errors of either speaking the truth without love or trying to love someone without speaking the truth. Let me go and explain to you what they mean by each statement is dual. There are two paragraphs under each statement. One is we affirm and they go on and the other one is nevertheless we do not affirm and then they go on. It's an affirmation and a denial, and it helps set the boundaries, the, this dual nature of what we do believe and what we're not saying. And that's where he's saying, we're not trying to find a third way. It's not like some uh, Buddhist middle way kind of approach. This is speaking the truth with love. The great last paragraph, the grace and truth path to which we point the church in this report is not an easy one. Speaking the truth yet doing it in love is nearly always harder than separating these needed aspects of the whole gospel into two alternatives. Speaking with grace and truth, in the process of our work together this year, we on your ad interim committee, that simply means temporary committee, have been delighted to find a greater spirit and degree of oneness amongst ourselves than we would have expected. Our prayer is that our entire church may increasingly find that same unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace.
I appreciate that approach. I think it's pastoral. I think it should be very good for us uh, to, to move forward with this kind of approach and this kind of goal. We're in Kent. This is a place that celebrates diversion from traditional gender definitions, if you want to call it that. This is a place that uh, needs to be pastored. These are people who, who need to see the light. They need the truth, and they also need to hear it in a way that they can hear it. And so I hope that we can go about this in a way that makes us um, attractive in how we deal with people, yet unafraid to speak the truth that changes lives. So that's um, our goal here through this study. Questions or thoughts on that? Yes, Hannah. All of these statements are dealing holistically. So uh, we're, I'm about to hand out this, this topic on this one on marriage for you. And it's, it, I don't even think it talks about, it doesn't even use the word homosexuality. It deals with biblical marriage and sexuality. Uh, so though the catalyst was homosexuality, and though some applications later in the document are geared toward um, those who call themselves homosexual Christians, um, or those maybe they don't even call themselves Christians. Some of the applications are geared toward that. Um, still, the definitions that we're looking at are holistic. And uh, the applications that they did, I mean, this was only a few years ago. This was pre, this is before the explosion of transgender as, as a discussion point. So the applications to that are actually lacking in comparison to um, other grievous sins, um, you know, champion sins in those days. Um, but yes, I think that's a good question. Um, our, our goal is not simply to prove how wrong specific sexual sins are. Our, our goal is to understand uh, more fully a biblical ethic. And, and that's how the world is, is, is going to be... Here, okay, that's, that's how the world is... That's the first question when people interact with Christians. Oh, do you think this about sexuality? Like, ethics has become the first discussion point and people want to know what you think as a Christian uh, first about sexuality. So I think we need to make sure that we're giving a good foundation all the way around. There's the one. Great. So you see, this is going to be the format moving forward. It is a small text at the top. That is the committee's report. And then I went ahead and just footnoted everything they cited in the bottom there. So the footnotes are extensive. And the content that we're really going to look at. I mean, what I love, though, is you look at the ratio of Scripture to statement. And I think that's how it should be. I think that we need to make sure that the statements that we we make um, are supported by Scripture. And also you'll see Westminster Confession of Faith uh, footnoted as well. Um, so you see just the structure here, the first two words, we affirm. 
about marriage. On the back, you see, nevertheless, we do not believe. Um, and, and so, Hannah, to answer your question, that second paragraph, all, it goes ahead and, and, and talks about sexual sin, even within marriage. Um, so I hope that this uh, becomes helpful for all of us and not just as you're thinking about your um, family member or your nephew or your friend or your neighbor who struggles with, this, with special, you know, things that we would call special sins. I use the air quotes on purpose. Um, every sin um, needs to be uh, eradicated to the glory of, 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 of Christ for the purification of the church so that we might um, be presented blameless to him on that last day. So I think perhaps what we can do is maybe look at this first line on the statement of marriage uh, before we call it quits today. We affirm that marriage is to be between one man and one woman. There are three supports given. Genesis 2 is such a, um, a helpful one here. I did not cite every verse. Um, well, it looks like I cited everything except verse 19. Apparently, I didn't like verse 19. Um, but perhaps I just kept reading through. Oh, I got to have this one. Got to have that one and ended up basically. Okay. Uh, there you see down there. Um, this is where God went from saying it's not good that man should be alone to saying this is very good. Uh, this is very good that um, man has woman and that God made woman uh, to be with man because there was no other helper fit for him. I think verse 19 is when they were looking at all the animals saying like, these animals, no, these, these don't fit. These aren't helpers fit for him. Verse 20 though, but for Adam, there was not a helper fit, uh, found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother, father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Um, that is the first marriage. That is God's design for uh, human sexuality, being naked together without shame, man and woman. And Matthew 19, verses 4 and 6, Jesus speaks of this. He's, he's interpreting what we just read for those uh, to whom he's speaking. They, they asked about divorce, and, and Jesus says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. This one flesh union, you've, you've probably heard that phrase. That's a common phrase. Um, is something that a only a man and woman can have. Uh, it's a it's a sexual intimacy that is a gift from God and is to be cherished and reserved for marriage. And that's, I'm getting ahead of myself, that's the second line there. Uh, and specifically, um, the Westminster Confession of Faith addresses yet another sin. You see footnote three, this is what Westminster Confession of Faith 24.1 says. Um, marriage is to be between one man and one woman 
Neither is it lawful for any man to have more than one wife, nor for any woman to have more than one husband at the same time. So this this statement, marriage is to be between one man and one woman, we can go ahead and uh, go ahead and ask you. We can ask what it excludes, but that's not the goal. The goal is not to figure out what doesn't this tell us. The goal is to tell us what good is this, and what is the good and the purpose of this. Because because this statement obviously ex- excludes homosexuality, polygamy. It excludes unfaithfulness. It excludes um, all these uh, this this promiscuity. It it it, it cherishes. This bond that God created between one man and one woman and the freedom that exists there in sexuality within these boundaries that God has created, these are life-giving boundaries. These are not intended to squash self-expression. In fact, they create an environment for you to understand who you are with someone else before God. And so these, uh, these boundaries are designed for the good of man and woman And so I think that's a good place for this report to start. Marriage is important. We need to understand that marriage is the place for sexual intimacy, and it is designed to be between one man and one woman. And we could take that one statement and explore it for an entire session. And in fact, we may have to cycle back to that next week um, when we go through the rest of this. Up at Redeemer, they're going through this in about triple the pace. They got all the way through statement one today and got into statement two. And I'm not even going to try. We have more flexibility to, to go at a, a slower pace here. At the same time, I'm not intending to drag this out as long as possible. Uh, but I think we need to make sure that these, um, especially this first statement on marriage, is understood well. And uh, we will give it more time uh, starting next week. Any concluding thoughts? Yes. Having just officiated your first wedding, um, what has been your approach or how do you feel about, at the end there, you say, uh, by the, I don't know exactly your wording, but something, something by the power of us and me under uh, God and according to the state of Ohio. Um, like how... I don't want to say unavoidably, but how unavoidably intertwined hmm. marriage as a social structure and marriage as a human institution have become. Um, we will get into this next week, but I'll go ahead and uh, stir that pot now, since you've got it stirring already. Um, I'll read you what I said. By virtue of the authority committed unto me as a minister of the church of Jesus Christ, I now pronounce you husband and wife according to the ordinance of God and the law of the state in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) You ask a good question. And and the reason I I laugh to myself is because I know where I have been on this topic. I know where I have wrestled on this. And I think the state has a role as the authority in the land to uphold what is good. Marriage is good. And so therefore, I think uh, it is not wrong for the church to uh, 
uh, expect the state to define and protect a good biblical definition of marriage. And so therefore, um, we believe that, of course, um, marriage is first and foremost from God. Uh, and, and I think from that comes this, this duty of the state to uphold what is good. Uh, and that would be biblical marriage. So I would say it's important, and, and it's a great benefit we have that, that I can say both of those things today. Um, now the, of course, I'm going down a rabbit hole. I'm going to stop there. Do you have thoughts on this? <laughs> I figured you do. Anything that's uh, worth closing um, us with here? Marriage is a creation ordinance, right? It predates, quote unquote, the church. Mm-hmm. And so it good. is more and of a... State. And the state, right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's very true. Um, and our marriages today look very different than in the garden because we're not in the garden anymore. But you're right. The, there was a time that the state I don't know, enforced is probably too strict a word, but it used to be if you wanted to get a divorce, you had to be able to prove to a court that there was an issue. There was unfaithfulness or something like that. And the state, not just the state, but like the society in general held you accountable for your marriage vows. There's a reason why you have to stand in front of a group of your friends and family and in front of a minister and in front of him. They held you accountable to it. And that just doesn't exist today. Marriage is like a tax benefit that's convenient. And if it gets hard, I'll just find somebody else. Do you have any thoughts? Um, I get a little bit antsy when uh, we went over this in the Living in God's Two Kingdoms. Um, and we talked a little bit about this in... Uh, um, am I allowed to talk about what we talked about in um, officer training? Oh, of course. Okay. Um, there, uh, there's an interesting perspective in officer training about um, the church being a voluntary place. Like, you come here, we're not roping you in and forcing you to be um, in our group. And when you start mixing the two, I, I start to see opportunities for uh, morality to be enforced legally um, upon people who have not assented to the name of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very dangerous, um, both for the testimony of the church um, and for the ability for us to live peaceably with our fellow man, as I forget which verse that is, but you've quoted a few times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah. No, I, that, that point is well made. And, and I guess what I would say is uh, membership in the church is voluntary. Right? You... And, but also, marriage does not belong specifically to the church institution. It belongs to God mm-hmm. and, and is more f- not more foundational than the church. But, um, in, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, so with that, I, 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 I get where you're coming from. I'm not trying to shut you down. Um, I think we, we can engage with that conversation. Uh, but I'm going to probably keep coming back to uh, to what I had said, I think it's important that biblical marriage be enforced wherever possible. Um, 
now that statement alone obviously can be misconstrued and I mean that's I probably maybe just said something that you could just explode all over the the Twitter sphere um, but I'm going to go ahead and close there uh, and we can pick up this discussion next time as we keep looking at this statement on marriage and what scripture says about it <clears throat> so let me pray Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your design for humanity. And we thank you that you have designed what is good and what gives life. You've not done these things arbitrarily. And we pray that we would excitedly and willfully and gratefully receive uh, these truths and live by them and be uh, excited to find the blessing that you um, have given to this obedience, uh, obedience to these things. We pray that as we uh, continue through this, we would uh, continue to speak as we have tonight with, um, with grace and with understanding and with um, a willingness to, to be people who hold fast to the truth, yet love our neighbor and care for those who are perishing. Um, we pray that you would keep us from temptation, that you would keep us from breaking that seventh commandment in uh, any variety of way that is close to our heart. Would we pursue sexual uh, purity? Would we pursue good biblical uh, marriage as you have given it to us? Uh, and if you have not uh, given that to us, would we pursue um, sexuality as you have uh, designed it in the position that you've put us in? And we pray in all these things you would be glorified. We pray in all these things we'd be willing to die to self uh, so that Christ might be exalted and your kingdom would be built. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.